welcome to another edition of Engaging the Generations, a podcast dedicated to conversations about cultivating intergenerational relationships at home, in the church, and in our communities in which every generation matters, every generation is valued, and all are engaged with one another in meaningful and purposeful ways. I'm so delighted to introduce you to my new co-host of Engaging the Generations, Sarah Greenstreet. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you participating with us and engaging the generation. So tell our listeners something about yourself. Yeah, I um, I work for the Navigator, specifically for Eagle Lake Camps. Um, I am the customer experience director working with parents um, in our uh, website and registration systems, but I also oversee our family camps, um, which I'm really excited about and really passionate about family relationships and just love to create a place that families can come and and um, grow closer to each other and to the Lord. And and then I also lead a 10th grade girls uh, Bible study and a 20s community group at the church that I go to in Colorado Springs. And so these are just, you know, two of the things I'm most passionate about and um, get me excited about intergenerational discipleship and relationships with each other. I appreciate your passion about intergenerational relationships, Sarah, and and that's why we've invited Dr. Chuck Stecker to join us today. Dr. Stecker is the founder and executive director of A Chosen Generation, a Christ-centered ministry whose purpose is to equip and train leaders for intergenerational ministry and to provide strategies and resources for strengthening the intergenerational culture of the local church. So welcome, Chuck. Uh, If you don't mind, would you just take a moment and tell us a little bit more about your ministry? Thanks, Kevin. It's good to be with you again. Kevin, you and I've got, you know, we met in high school 100 years ago. (laughs) We're only 38. It was a great deal. Sarah, so nice to meet you even online. I've heard such wonderful things about you from Kevin, and it's uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Our ministry started, uh, really, the genesis for us was 25 years ago. Oh, my goodness. uh, In that time frame, as God kind of wove through, we launched the Chosen Generation, really, in 2000. And it was really starting with rites of passage. I love what you're doing, Kevin, with you, with 10th grade. And I I will clarify, they're not boys, but they're young men. And those ninth grade girls are young ladies. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of what the church does is it keeps them as kids. It literally does. And they have to leave the church and leave their parents' church to become adults because we don't transition them well into adulthood with a faith of their own. So we began doing rites of passage with churches and thinking I came out of the military. No, I wasn't a chaplain. Um, but I felt like I was supposed to be an arms dealer. You know, we had this nuclear device that we would give to the churches and they would know the, the tactics and how to deploy it and what to do and, you know, and things like that. And after every rite of passage, the pastor would say, what do we do now? And then it became very clear that it wasn't about the rites of passage. That was just merely one tool in helping the church transform their culture to an intergenerational and more than just inter, but transformational where lives are changed. But there is continuity from one generation to the next. And it's not like you stop at this one, then you have to go find another church or another group. But there's clear continuity as you grow and mature through the church. And so we began doing that. We work a lot also with 
We don't call them seniors. They're our encore generation, you know, and that's, uh, we can explain that. But it's the entire generational spectrum of bringing them together. And very simply, we know that young people do better when they're around older people that will invest in them and believe in them. But we also know that older people just do much better when we're around younger people that stir us, keep us young and move us down the line on some things. So that's kind of what we do. Hi, Sarah. I think you and I would agree that we we have that same passion and heart as well, too. Right? Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. So, Chuck, let's put, let's just pick up on this whole thing. Uh, give, give us a quick assessment of your assessment of where the church in America or in Western culture is today in terms of having that kind of intergenerational culture. Well, let's just start with where the church is today. It's in serious trouble. Leave it at that. It's in serious trouble. The church, uh, there's so many things about it, right? Now, the good part is I've read the last chapter of the book. Well, it's actually 66 books that makes up my favorite book. But we win, but we still have to fight the battles. And one of the things we do is we have bought into this mentality that we have to have a separate everything, particularly for youth. Well, our seniors have bought into that and said, hey, we bought and paid for this. We also want our own pastor, our own this, our own that. I just read an email from a good friend of mine that says that youth ministry is the biggest $6 billion failure the church has ever experienced. Never have we put more money into one program to get less results than what we've done. Talked about the programs at $6 billion is what the whole youth ministry looks like over a year. And you see what's happened with the number walking away. Well, the biggest problem is, is that we're not helping young people understand what it means to to have their own faith. Let's just start with that. We're we're trying to help them, you know, in a sense, you know, with the lights and the noise and the music and this and that. But they don't know where to go after that. And the other problem is, is that most young people, when you talk to them about their church, they will identify a youth group or Sunday school class as their church. But in terms of what they refer to as big church, and even the leaders do when you talk to them, they say, well, you know, we're trying to get them ready for big church. What the heck is that? So the idea is, is that, you know, in order for them to find a church like they just left, there isn't one out there because that's a youth church. And so they've not been transitioned into a church that is dealing with real issues, real problems where they have the investment of older lives in there, in those lives with them. So that's really, that's the assessment. Have we lost the war? Absolutely not. We've got some great battles going on. It feels like we've lost a lot and a lot of parents. And and one of the reasons that parents are so, and grandparents uh, feel so bad about it is most grandparents, many of the grandparents see their grandkids being raised differently. They thought they raised their kids. And so they either feel disqualified or unqualified and they just result, you know, they just kind of pull back from the process and they just kind of hide out in their own seniors groups. I asked churches, you know, how involved are your seniors? And they go very involved. Then I said, let me ask you this question. How involved are they in ministries other than seniors ministry? And then you get this look on their face and they go, well, I hadn't thought about that. I said, well, think about it for a minute. How many seniors using that term, not fond of it, I like Encore, but the older generation there, how many of them are truly involved in younger generation ministries, things of that nature, right? And you find that the number is significantly smaller. So how do we get, how do we get from there to where 
the generations are beginning to have that kind of meaningful conversation and relationship. Great question, Kevin. Here's here's the part of it. I'll give you an example of church that we're very close to in that. Um, He said on the the night of their youth ministry and their children's ministry and so forth, he said it... um, they had about 10% involvement with the seniors, you will, right? And one of the things we help them do is many of the seniors feel like they've been told to pass the baton. And remember this, that's not a biblical term. Passing the baton, right, is a racing term we picked up because it sounds cute. You know, you got to pass the baton to the next generation. Well, the fact is when a runner passes the baton, they have to quit running, get off the track, and they have to stay out of the race. Even if they jog along on the inside, encouraging the other runners, it's called pacing and their team is disqualified. They have to stand there and kind of, you know, watch what's happening around them. And many of the seniors will tell you they felt like they were told to pass the baton. They did right? And we've lost two generations of seniors and in the process of losing our third. The most valuable asset we have in the church today is our seniors. And so in any event, we help this church and we actually teach a seminar called, If You Passed Your Baton, Take It Back and teach the church. We're doing one in October here in Littleton, where they will literally give batons back to their seniors right during church service. And when that happens, what happens to these seniors is you watch a life-changing moment for them. I had a guy up in Washington State, uh, 75 years old, holding onto the baton so tight he could have bent the thing, aluminum. His trophy wipe on his arm, a trophy wipe, by the way, Sarah, is the one you marry early and keep a long time. It's not (laughs) one that can't cook or spell, you know, but uh, his trophy wipe was 50 plus years of trophy, Mm -hmm. right? And she's holding his arm. He's cried so much. He's got a blazer on, a shirt, and a tie. And I mean, and all of that was probably worth more than my car, you know, tailor made everything. He says, Can I talk to you? I said, Absolutely. He said, I've waited 10 years to hear this message from my church that I still had value. 10 years that he still had value. And we walked through this process. But going back to this church where 10%, he shared with members of our board that within a very short period of time of giving batons back to the seniors, they jumped in with both feet. They were just waiting for the opportunity. He says, now we run about 80% of our volunteers because it's just exploded. Our seniors that couldn't wait to get their hands and work with these kids, you know, and so forth. So there's yeah. things that you can do to tell them. But one of the things a, has to, a church has to do is they have to let the encore generate. Let me explain encore. A few months ago, got to hear, that's almost a year ago, my gosh, I uh, got to hear Andre Bocelli in concert up at the ball arena, and the place was just absolutely packed. He came back for three encores, and it was absolutely, and he could have come back for five. I mean, nobody was leaving till it was the final moment. But here's what I, I learned about encores. One is great performers are prepared for. Great performers know what they're going to do. Great performers will very often do their very best stuff in that last encore because they know that's what they're going to be remembered for. Mm. So when we invite the seniors back for an encore, this will be what you're remembered for. This is your best season of ministry you will ever experience. Right. And that we've got to let them know that the vision of the church includes them, because so often now they're hanging on to the old vision because they don't think, you know, how often I just wrote an article some time ago, but it says, quit telling the church we're trying to reach a younger generation. Why don't we just let the church be the church and bring their friend, you know, but this emphasis, because when you say, here's what we're trying to reach, you know, we say, this is what we're not trying to reach. We got enough of them. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we, uh, we do that. So that's one aspect, but it's not just that. It is that whole piece of this that, and, and particularly, as I said, Sarah, you know, so many of the, the grandparents see their grandkids being raised differently and they feel like they failed. And so they often feel disqualified or unqualified to engage. What do I have to offer? My grandkids aren't even church. And talk about a valuable generation, you know? Yeah, I really love what you said, Chuck, about that we don't let the kids grow up in the church. We don't teach them how to become adults in the church. I think that's really key. It's not, this isn't going to be solved by, you know, throwing some events. This is going to be solved by completely changing the culture of the church to um, to invest in each other and to see the importance and value in the different generations. Like it's so much bigger than just, you know, throwing in a event to try to help people understand, but really changing the culture of the church. Sarah, you're absolutely right. Let me give you an example. We did up on the East coast, we did a rites of passage, a rite of passage is helping the church understand that uh, adulthood begins that we've confused adulthood and maturity. So what we do is we want the young people to be mature and then we'll decide when they're adults, but let's understand something. God decides when they're adults, he alone transforms the body and makes it capable of reproducing life. That's what God does. It's part of his continuing process of the creation. Our job is go and make disciples, which when you look at that is make maturing followers of Christ. It's what a disciple is, fully devoted, spiritually maturing follower of Christ, right? But we tell God, you make them mature and we'll decide when they're adults. God says, I'll decide when they're adults. Why don't you do what you're supposed to do and make them mature and walk with them in the process? So we did the rites of passage. It culminates in a ceremonial rite of passage with a parental blessing as a young adult at age 13 up and so forth. The people, you know, they go crazy. And then the pastor blesses blesses them as one of the adults. Well, get this though. In most churches, if you look at life groups and small groups and things like that, right? Well, every adult can choose if they want to go to this life group and they want to go to this life group. The exception being they have to go to the youth pastor's life group. Well, what happened in this church is one young lady was 16 years old. And so then they offer all the life groups (coughs) and the book they were doing in youth group, you know, they're theirs. She'd already been through that a couple of years earlier, but she saw a women's life group and she wanted to be with older women and the church wouldn't allow her because she wasn't old enough because she wasn't out of high school to be mm-hmm. with older women. She had to be in the high school youth group. I mean, you know, small group that they did. So we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot a lot with these things, because when you think about a young lady, 16 years old says, all I want to do is be around older women and learn from them. Right. And I was, I was speaking at a conference one time. It was on the subject of marriage and a young guy sitting in there and he was 15 years old. And so, I mean, we got all these other guys in there and right in the front row is this 15 year old. I said, son, I got to tell you something. One, are you in the right place? You know, some <laughs> I selected this. I said, Great. I said, let me ask you a question this about marriage. And this, I said, why are you here? He says, because. I want to grow up and have a good marriage. And if I don't start learning now, how am I going to do that just when I get married? I need help now. And boy, the guy stood and cheered for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, and just a great young man. But it's this idea that young men need to be around older men and things like that. Never forget a guy that gave his testimony one time, and it was in the coal mines of West Virginia. His wife got pregnant when she was 15. He was 16. So there... You know, you know, you drop out of school and you get a job in the coal mine. And so she's pregnant in this and 
he's watching the guys. He starts drinking. He starts gambling and, you know, whatever else. And he said, and he gave this testimony, by the way, with his wife sitting in the front row and his daughter, okay, that came much later, the son, a few years, but the daughter's sitting there. He shared this, but an older man walked up to him and said this, I know what you're doing and real men don't act like that. So stop it. He says, I can tell you the exact moment I turned and I went home to my wife and he said, you know, he ended up in the retired as least high school went through, but it was that one older man saying, I know what you're doing. Real men don't act like that. Now stop it. Hmm. Holy cow. I mean, what a state, but there's yeah. a lot to learn both ways too, Sarah. So it's absolutely it points out the whole issue that we, we, we just don't have a mechanism that's uh, existing in the typical church, whether it's because of church leadership philosophy, fear on the part of the various generations that we can't relate to one another. We don't have that mechanism where we are automatically growing up believing that we need each other. So yeah. how does I, afraid of that. And part of it is, though, again, the segregation. You know, you've got your children's ministry, your youth ministry, then you go to college age. And once you do that, and generally you get back to the church, you know, after you messed up your life a little bit and figure out you might need churches, guys. You know, women don't do that, Sarah. They're a lot more perfect than the guys are. (laughs) There are a lot more women in the church than men. (laughs) About about it runs anywhere from 60 to 70% you know, compared to 40 or 30%, but that's because we don't target it. And I don't know, Kevin, you've been a member of the NCM National Coalition of Ministries to me. I don't know, at the very beginning, the very first year, our pastor of the year was a pastor out of Pittsburgh and from a black church. And uh, he had set his sights on, and this is the tougher nut to crack, have 51% in the church. And he said, so we designed to, to be able to accommodate that. And he said, man, we are just growing and growing and growing with it. And then all of a sudden we plateaued off and it was to struggle, right? He's getting oh, his leaders like- together and he goes, what in the world's happening? We're doing so well. Every program's working. Our numbers of men, per- and they looked at it and they said, well, it's real simple. When the women of the community found out there were men here that could be trusted, they weren't looking for dates. They just wanted to be around trust. Them. And so we've had this surge in these last couple of years where we're talking about women coming into church, single moms coming into church and all of this. So they ramped it up in the year he got the award as the pastor of the year. They had reached 51% of the church, which is a pretty interesting for an African-American church that generally has a strong... African-American, generally the, the Hispanic and the African-American, tell the truth, shame the devil, are generally going to have a higher matriarchal influence on that. And, and you know, men, you know, they go to church sometimes, the kids. In. So, Chuck, uh, let's follow up on this conversation about the uh, young pastor that you were just describing. Yeah. So what did he do? That changed it. He was an older pastor. Okay. So there's a number of things that you do terminology. Okay. You speak to the men. You know, a friend that was very close to both you and I is in heaven now. In fact, I was able to do his. I just talked to his wife today, Kathy Erickson, Dan Erickson's wife. Okay. Dan, one of the statements that he made that I've, uh, years and years ago, he told me, he says, you always teach pastors to talk to the men. If you talk to the men, the women will eavesdrop and translate. If you talk to the women, the men will give you out. So it's a terminology. One of the things I've, our home church up here, I've got just a phenomenal pastor and reaching men and speaking to them. And, and one, he's an extremely good pastor. He's teachable, but he's a heck of a teacher. But I said, you know, one of the things, if you want to influence the guys, at some point in the service, you stop and say, man, let me just talk to you. And the moment that happens, Kevin, man, it's those EF Hutton, you know what I'm saying? 
everything stops. Man, guys will look up and they're zoned in right there with them. And the women love it. The women love it. And they'll tell you that if you would just talk, you know, we had um, David Merle wrote the book, Why Many Church. Remember that, right? And I gave him a quote from a lady that worked with us that said, if they stopped every program in the church for a while, except the ones that raised men, I'd be thrilled. Because if you raise men, they're going to raise her son. And, you know, you go through this thing. So lots in the terminology and the, you know, the pastor, and you've got to have specific things targeting that, but bringing those generations together and you get what you, you get what you target on them, you know? So if you're not measuring and bringing together the relationships, we can use words like mentoring, coaching, and things like that, Kevin, but it's really those intergenerational relationships, right? So we use things and we get diverted because we say, well, we've got a great cross-generational. Well, cross-generational is marketing. You and I've had this conversation. Multi-generational is just butts in the seats. That's Whoopi Goldberg, Citrac. But there's no relationship. It's just what it looks like, the appearance of it. Intergenerational is doing life together. So think of it this way. Cross-generational is marketing to get them there. Multi-generational is getting them to sit next to each other. Intergenerational is getting them to do life with each other right? There well, is the challenge. There's the challenge. But but you create those opportunities and you can do that. Thanks for that good word, Chuck. Any of us, any of us can be used by God to create those opportunities to change the culture in our arena of influence. That's so true, Kevin. And Chuck will be with us again in our next episode to talk about some ways we can seize those opportunities. I look forward to hearing what more Dr. Secker has to share. Yeah, I do too, Sarah. And I hope those of you listening to this podcast will join us and invite others to join us as well. Until then, I'm Kevin Harper. And I'm Sarah Greenstreet, urging you to be intentional and faithful in commending the mighty works of God and truth to the other generations. And to challenge others to do the same. God bless. God bless.